Hello and welcome to Midnight Showing. I'm Nash, that's Luke, and this week our third review for our October Spook Fest is Kenneth Branham's Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. That's fun to say. Was it worth it? That's what we're here to tell you, and don't worry, we will notify you before we start spoiling. Or maybe Luke won't. Who knows? <laughs> I apologize if you listen to The Spanish Prisoner. I spoiled the heck out of it in those first five minutes. I have no idea. And um, I, is it, I don't know if I can really spoil the story of Frankenstein. It hasn't like every person heard it. Isn't that like a birthright of just being born in the world so you have to know the story of Frankenstein? Yeah, I feel like it's definitely just one of those Western literature things that if you don't know it, it's kind of crazy, though. Gosh, this is going to be a bit of a tangent. It's like, that's sort of like a, such a crazy story, how well-known it is. It's, I f- to think about it, like, so word of mouth. Like, if you ask people about Frankenstein, they're always going to say, you know, pretty much the same thing. Yeah. Yeah, no, and it's like but, it's like it's, uh, it's like yeah. it's, 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 it's like the, the the movie too. I feel I feel like it was it was the movie that really just drove it to like the ultimate fame. And now like I feel like the face of monsters is Frankenstein in a certain way, you know? Yeah, right. Like he's the the, the, the epitome. Yeah. Of what a monster is, it was pretty pretty crazy the origin of the story but we'll get into that later yeah (laughs) well i guess we should talk about how we came across this movie or why or what or um well i will say dude you know growing up you and i were born in the 90s growing up vhs tapes were still a thing right and i feel like in my house for my entire life there was always mary shelley's frankenstein on vhs but i was way too young to watch it and i was definitely too scared to watch it myself to put it in the thing so that's how i knew about this movie as a child it's one of those like childhood memories that like sticks out in my brain is like there was always a vhs tape of mary shelley's frankenstein even though i literally never watched it until last night yeah no when i think about that i don't know if i've seen an entire like Frankenstein movie all the way through. Really? Except for this one, yeah. I mean, I'm not. I'm not gonna lie. I definitely haven't seen uh, like the 1930s ones that are like the Boris Karloff, wicked famous ones. And just never had an opportunity to see it. Never really looked it out in any serious way. I honestly think that's the only one I've seen the most of, other than this one. After we had to do a review for it. I've read the book, but I've never seen the like the actual <laughs> movie. Wow. <laughs> but I mean, it's probably one of, if not the most famous, sort of scenes in really just Western culture. Yeah, nah, seriously. So, who actually stars in this adaptation of Frankenstein? First off, we got Kenneth Branagh. Is that how you say his name? Um, I guess Branagh. Yeah, he's Branagh. a he's a pretty famous guy. Um, I don't know if you've ever seen the version of Hamlet that he directed and starred in. It's a pretty epic version. It's like four hours long. Um, dude, in in high school, actually, um, our teacher like instead of having us read, we would just watch the movie every day in class because it was such a solid <laughs> adaptation of it up there. So, uh, shouts to uh, Mr. Bates. <laughs> Nice, nice. Instead of reading it, well, see, that's the thing about English class because 
I mean, the whole homework is to read the book. So it's like you get to class, you have a talk about it. And what do you it do? was a senior class. And I promise you, none of us were reading the book. So his way of getting us to just know the story was to just come to class and like watch the movie. And we did talk about it. We didn't just watch the movie, but it was always funny because that was like the way that I've seen Hamlet is literally just the version that Kenneth brought on made. I didn't read the book. I've just seen that. So I think I know the story of Hamilton pretty well. But I mean, I don't know. Maybe we'll do that well, movie for, one day. <laughs> for, those, for those of us that do read books <laughs> it is pretty important like something like hamlet uh, especially because it's a play or it's written as a play it's i think it's incredibly important to see it actually performed in some way yeah because your interpretation of reading it is can change so quickly especially if you're acting it out, like how you're going to interpret those lines. Like that's going to give you a different thing every time. A different perspective on it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so, so Mr. Bates is a phenomenal English teacher is essentially the thesis of this whole intro. We're taking a while with the intro this week, bro. Um, <laughs> so anyway, we Ken, Ken, <laughs> Kenneth Braz playing Victor Frankenstein. And um, then playing Elizabeth is uh, Helena Bonham Carter, who you probably know as Marla from Fight Club. What a character. Probably all-time cinema. One of the greatest characters of all time, Marla, right? You feel me on that? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And then... Oh, she's, in so, she's in so much stuff. Oh, my God. You know, the final actor that I want to bring up brings me to one of my big things with this movie, dude, is that, you know, I feel like I grew up with the internet pretty well. I feel like I watched a lot of YouTube videos of things <laughs> I liked, references to things. That's how I kind of learned about pop culture and whatnot. How in the name of God is this the first time I've ever seen or heard about... Robert De Niro Frankenstein. Frank De Niro, dude. Frank, <laughs> Frank De Niro. How is this the first time I've ever seen that face all cut up with the scar and everything? Like, we're going to get into all of this. Robert De Niro yeah, is right? playing the creature. That, that, that really is a crazy... I feel like he's paid money to bury the movie. <laughs> right, dude? Like, I, like, I'm really surprised that I literally just... No one ever talks about that time that... Robert De Niro played Frankenstein, although his name is not Frankenstein, of course. I'm sorry for everybody. I apologize. He is the creature in the movie. Um, that brings us next to our director, who is also Victor Frankenstein, Kenneth Branagh. I'm totally saying that name wrong. How do you feel about him being the director and the star of the movie? Yeah, he's in a lot of stuff, and I didn't know that he was the director. So looking back, I feel like that that's going to make a lot more sense looking at other movies that he's done. Cause I feel like they have the same type of uh, sort of beats to the scenes. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? They have the same sort of uh, motion to them. I feel that with how, with how everything sort of plays out between each cut. Hmm. Well, um, and the cut, the cuts of this movie we're going to get into. <laughs> yeah. Let's not give anything away, but I think what you just said is a little questionable. <laughs> so the world um, it is the late 1700s. Do you know where we are exactly? Not the very beginning in Antarctica. Where does the story mainly take place? Is it in Europe? I thought it was. No, it's definitely in Europe. Um, I think, let's see, he's from Geneva. That's where some of it takes place. Yeah, right. Um, I think it's in, like, Germany. Something like that. Anyway... Um, Victor Frankenstein, we find him in whatever country he's in, and he's on the brink of a reality-changing science in which he can, you guessed it, reanimate dead people. He's going to bring people back from the dead. 
Per usual in these types of stories, things, of course, begin to go awry as Victor is forced to deal with the repercussions of his actions. So, essentially, this movie is like Reanimator meets Hamilton. You feel me on that? <laughs> meets Hamilton? <laughs> yeah, because it's like the same time period. They're all wearing the wigs and everything. All the musicals that they were going on in Frankenstein. <laughs> Okay. 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 Yeah, I see. <laughs> yeah, I get, yeah. Yeah, it's okay. Wow, that's interesting to think about. The reanimator is Frankenstein. Yeah, right? Why people sleep dead people should stay dead. That's what I've learned from filmmaking. <laughs> if film has taught us anything it's keep the dead dead yeah. <laughs> big facts dude big facts so did this movie have a trailer <laughs> yeah it had a trailer yeah shockingly they made a trailer for this I didn't like it I, did, I so, didn't either it was nothing special yeah cause um I'm going to be honest, for this one, we watch the trailer after. It kind of, it's hit or miss whether we watch it before or after. Usually, if we have never heard of the movie at all, if, like, we have no idea what it's about, we're definitely going to watch it first. But for this one, having watched the movie after, it's just, the, the trailer is nonstop action. It's crazy. There's... You know, all these riots and everything going on. And it's utter chaos. Mm -hmm. And the music is just, oh, everything's going down, man. It's not a good time for people in Prague or wherever they are. <laughs> and that is true. Those things happen in the movie. The trailer is only filled with scenes from the movie. Um, but it's not really how I describe it as a whole. It's not how you describe the movie. No, there it, there's definitely a lot of lulls between all that high action stuff. And the high action stuff isn't even really high action. I wouldn't say it's high action. Yeah, cuz it's it honestly is really never that important. Well, especially in comparison to the scenes that they use for the trailer and when it happens in the movie, it's just kind of like the backdrop to what's going on. Yeah, exactly. And the real calamity that is caused by all that sort of crazy action it only happens maybe like once or twice. Yeah, no, I, I totally feel that. Definitely, definitely a not, not great trailer. Um, so we got motifs and themes. I don't know if these motifs and themes are probably throughout every version of Frankenstein. Got to be in a couple of them. So you might kind of know what, what, what it's all about just knowing the story of Frankenstein. But what I thought was really emphasized in this version was the real harsh reality of death. Death isn't um, a foreign concept to filmmaking, storytelling, all that stuff, but I felt like the um, Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, the version that we watched, really wanted to get the point across that like when people died back in those days, it would had a massive impact on everybody's lives. Every time somebody dies, it's super bloody. Everybody is crying out in anger and angst, wishing that people could just come back. I felt like it took it to the next level in showing that harsh reality that we have to deal with. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. it. Yeah, it pretty much is about, you know, death. Yeah. Which was a weird scene. Anyway, anyway we'll get into that later. But yeah, definitely those are, those I think, pretty much come throughout the whole movie. They're always persistent. So, thumbs up or down? And I'm kind of curious this week. 
about what you're going to say, if it's thumbs up or down. Well, I mean, you know, man, I feel like I give movies a lot of slack just because I like a lot of stuff and I can always kind of pull something that I like from a movie. But for Bram... Oh, I almost said Bram Stoker's uh, Dracula. That's not this movie. For Mary Shelley's (laughs) Frankenstein, it's going to be a thumbs down, dude. This is my first thumbs down since week four, bro. It's going to be a thumbs down. (sighs) You know what? I gotta give it a thumbs down too. Dang, the, bro! The, the, rea- the reality of the movie we watched. Yeah, it just and uh, yeah. But you yeah. know, I think I think it wasn't completely god awful. There were some things that I liked, so I do think we can get into a discussion and not just totally rip it apart. But overall, I don't think it's a great movie. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Like you could you could watch it. It's just sort of you're not you're not you're not going to be smarter. Or a deeper thinker, <laughs> or like impressed with the action or anything. Like great special, great you know costume. But you That's... will know what Robert De Niro's penis looks like. Oh my god, See, that man loves to get naked in his early years. All right, but now that we've given you a taste of the movie, we really don't want to spoil it for anyone that hasn't seen it. So if you haven't already, like and subscribe to our channel and pause this video so you can check this one out for yourself. Or just don't do that because it's kind of meh. <laughs> All right. All right. I got a question for you. Legitimate, yeah, yeah. legitimate question. Lay what was the better performance? Deer Hunter or Frankenstein for Robert De Niro? <laughs> Is that a joke? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like Deer Hunter, like obviously. Yeah. <laughs> really, you don't think you could pull it together as being the creature. Yeah, that was... Uh... Uh, I mean, let's let's. He look, honestly, what? he's probably the best, the best actor and character the whole movie. Uh, you know, I agree with that, and I feel like he he was just acting in a. I feel like he was acting in a more realistic way, coming from the most unrealistic character. Like I feel like this movie yeah. is very over the top and trying to be really grand and like kind of a play. Like we were talking about with Hamilton earlier. I feel like this movie tried to kind of be like a play in the way that they were presenting things. Like I thought the set was really interesting, specifically like the staircase in their mansion that seemed very um like very grandiose grandiose that's the word i'm looking for so um i don't know i don't want to start with robert de niro for this movie first i think we should kind of establish like mary shelley's frankenstein and how it has differed over time so you said that you've actually read mary shelley's frankenstein yep 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 um, how, how, <laughs> how is it? List me all the differences. Um, well, the, the big major focus um, of the book is it's not actually about the, the monster being created. Yeah. It's more about sort of morality as, uh, of being a human being um, with sort of like what is being a human being and sort of the role of science going forward. That's kind of the biggest focus for the book. Like in the book, they don't, he doesn't really just, uh, Victor Frankenstein doesn't really describe how Frankenstein gets created. It's a very like small section in the book is his, him literally coming to life. The monster literally coming to life. 
and it's not and i feel like all these movies sort of focus on that big theatrical it's alive it's alive yeah and it's just like the reality of it was he was in the book he was a scientist Mm -hmm. starving alone yeah going insane by himself just you know yeah at wit's end well, Literally I, at wit's end. I think I think that's a pretty good place to start because what I found probably the most interesting about the story specifically was the intelligence of the creature, the intelligence of Frankenstein's monster. I felt like um, every interpretation I've seen of Frankenstein definitely plays him more out like he's just a monster. Like, isn't it like fire bad? That's like a Frankenstein tr- kind of trope, isn't it? Yeah, because, um, which is actually lends itself to the the book pretty well because once the creature gets uh made the monster is alive mm-hmm. it's he doesn't know anything it's like he was just born yeah yeah so he, he has to learn how to speak he has to learn sort of you know what is morality you know what is being a human much like a child would it's like it's straight up like he was reborn as somebody totally different. And that's where you see a lot of sort of differences with how directors will take that. I think. Yeah, uh, I feel that. And this one is kind of, cause this, this movie like is very, I wouldn't say it's loosely based around the book. Like it, it, it hits a lot of major points that happen in the book. Like the big thing is that the whole story you know, starts off in the Arctic. Yeah. That's how the book starts off. And that's how it ends. Just like in the movie, Mm -hmm. you know, he goes to school, just like in the movie, learns his stuff, becomes more isolated, creates a monster. But the thing is, especially, I think this happens in every Frankenstein movie (laughs) is that, you know, the doctor's there and he's super happy where it's like in the book, that guy got terrified. He ran away and he dipped. Yeah, and uh, Igor is it? Is his name Igor in the original one? I should have looked up more about like. I did. Fred. I did look it up because I knew in the book he was alone. I didn't know what Igor is from, but I feel like that's always in it. Um, in the first movie, in the nineteen thirty one movie, his name is like Fritz or Franz. Okay. Yeah. And yeah, I think he's got a hunchback too in that one. Yeah. So that's that. That just goes to show that. Um, like how different the story actually is and how they actually focused more upon the act of like stealing body parts and kind of the grand nature of having a massive laboratory. I feel like those were the things that wanted to be emphasized back in those days of filmmaking because it was something that was cool they could do. I'm totally talking on my ass right now, but that was kind of like what the main thing that I found interesting about it was that there's a scene where Robert De Niro and um, Victor are having a discussion about like the moralities of being a human. And like at its core, at its root, I think that's a really cool idea for a story. I think that that's a really cool idea for Frankenstein, and it's crazy to me that this is actually the originating story of Frankenstein, and that the originating story of Frankenstein was more about these really deep philosophical questions. I think there's a lot to pull from a story for there, but the whole thing with Mary Shelley's Frankenstein is that this movie is just weird, over-the-top, tonally, all over the place, and Robert De Niro is... Uh, I don't have words. It's like just so funny to just watch him like 
make mob hits on, like, children and pulling, like, hearts out of Elizabeth and whatnot, you know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Like, he just pulled... uh-huh. Oh, yeah. And, like, his, his his accent just, it's it's comical, and I'm so surprised I've never heard of Frank and De Niro before, dude. Yeah, really, uh, that, that kind of surprises me, too. Like, the, whole, the the movie as a whole does, just with, I know I mentioned earlier sort of the beats of it, like, I feel like Kenneth Branagh has like those sort of similar beats in kind of all of his movies. Um, but this one was even more often. I know you mentioned it uh, while we were watching it, how so many of those cuts were just super quick. It felt, and, it felt like we were watching the movie on uh, times two, bro. Yeah. Like you definitely just missed something that we shouldn't have. Like some of the film reel skipped over or something. It's, it's a, it's a weird thing where it feels like nothing is happening when a lot's happening. You know that feeling when you're watching a movie? It's like, we're 40 minutes in right now, but I don't think I care about anything that's happened. You know what I mean? Yeah, and I know a lot of people might find that that's sort of a nitpicky thing, but it really isn't because if you're watching a movie, you're not supposed to be focused really on anything else. Yeah. That's kind of like the whole point of it is you're supposed to, you know, you have a limited time just to watch it. It's going to play itself out. But if the movie keeps bringing stuff up that brings you out of it, it's doing a poor job of presenting itself. Exactly. And that's and that's what happened every time that these weird cuts would happen. You just sort of like, what? What just, where am I? How did we uh-huh. get to the iceberg? What's going on? Yeah. So, like, let's let's bring it back to, to, to The Lighthouse two weeks ago. The Lighthouse is crazy because it engrosses you and you feel like you're on the island with them. I don't feel like I helped Victor create Frankenstein. I feel like I watched the movie, you know what I mean? Like Exactly. And with any horror movie, it's supposed to engross you. It's supposed to pull you in and make you feel like you're a part of the horror. You're a part of what's happening. This movie, like doesn't really have any nuance in that way. I don't think it really feels too creepy. There's disturbing stuff happening. There's a lot of blood, child murder. When he rips the heart out, it's gnarly. But I didn't really feel creeped out at all watching it. And once Robert De Niro actually is born into the monster, you're kind of just like, okay, this is a novelty at this point. This is just a goofy movie from the 90s, you know? Yeah, that's really what it ends up feeling like. You're not pulled it because that is a crazy thing about a good horror movie it's like you know you're gonna see stuff and hear stuff that you don't want to be a part of it's the it's sort of that trick of pulling you in more and more even though you know you're gonna experience stuff that you'd rather probably not see like and this movie it doesn't it does definitely i, I wouldn't classify it as a horror movie um after watching it even though I, I do at times feel like it tries to be with how sort of gruesome it is. Yeah. Like very gory and not really much of a sort of shock factor. Yeah. Which I'm not saying that that's what, you know, every horror movie requires, but when you're not bringing on sort of the very subtle things that are presented in the story, it's kind of like, what are you left with? And there's not that much left, <laughs> unfortunately. And I think that really just has to do with that the the pace of the movie and like what is actually being shown and what's actually being told about what's happening. Because 
uh, just kind of like what we're talking about, like the grand moment of this movie is definitely when Robert De Niro is born. I don't, do you think there's a climax other than that? Maybe when he pulls the heart out of Elizabeth. Yeah, it's, uh, it's almost that there are two because this, this version has two sort of reanimations happen. You've got the crazy one. Um, the first initial one where everything is sort of going as planned, I guess, you know, with Robert De Niro becoming Robert to Franken, whatever. Mm-hmm. And that first one. But then when she actually becomes <clears throat> his bride, sort sort of, or he reanimates Elizabeth again, that's kind of the second one with her sort of lighting herself yeah. on fire. Yeah. Which in the in the book, it just didn't happen. He starts to reanimate a girl for um, Frankenstein or for his monster. And then... Uh, sort of destroys it so he won't have one because he doesn't want to create more of it. So, like, overall, do you think that this movie represents the idea of Mary Shelley's original story in a good way? I kind of know the answer, but I still want to ask, like, how off do you think they were from the mark of telling this story that kind of revolves around the morality of what Victor actually did? Because, you know, I really do like think there's a lot there with the character mm-hmm. of Victor Frankenstein like creating this thing and like not taking any responsibility responsibility for it and like the idea of the monster just being up in the arctic alone like thoughts in its head like slowly going insane and it was something that wasn't created until this character did it and the idea that he takes almost no responsibility for it after it happens he just kind of dips away from that life tries to ignore it like i feel like that's a really interesting idea but overall with the tone and everything it feels like everything's all over the place how do you feel about them either missing their mark or hitting it a tiny bit on the head. Yeah, they definitely, it's like they forgot while they're making most of the movie. And then like that scene where they're in, uh, and is it Antarctica or is it like the North pole? I, I don't know, honestly, which I don't know which one is which either way. Um, the South pole somewhere, the North one's the other place, but when they're there, it's sort of like that dialogue that they have is really sort of the only, like resonance that you have with the major theme of the book, which is, you know, the cost of humanity Mm -hmm. and sort of nature versus nurture. That really isn't, it's not present in this one. Yeah. Yeah. I know. Yeah. The characters are never stressed too much on their moral choices. And, you know, it's, um, I think the fact that most of the characters in this movie are playing very over the top and, um, Robert De Niro doesn't, I feel like them acting over the top again takes away from that original message of the movie. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, for me, the coolest part of the movie is what I've been talking about the last five minutes. I wonder what happened in the minds of the people who produced it way back then, which was Francis Ford Coppola, by the way, which is a gnarly name to put on your movie. And I just, I wonder like what happened in the process of translation that made them choose to focus on these things and even pay homage to the Boris Karloff version of Frankenstein when like they were going extremely for Mary Shelley's like, why did they make all these decisions and put into these things when, Overall, it just feels like a giant mess. 
Yeah, it really does feel like a mess. And I think it's just how much the story has there. Because it isn't about the literal things that happens. It's about the subtle messages behind it. And if you don't sort of put that in the story early on, like that was honestly the first thing that got me it. Like when I was, when we were watching this, I was just like, I was like, ugh, this movie already is straight up when uh, his mom dies in the beginning. He's like, the first thing he says is like, bring her back. I wish there was a way to bring her back. Yeah. Exactly. That is really weird to say right off the bat when somebody dies. Yeah. Super weird and unnatural to say. (laughs) Like, you didn't have to have him say that. Like, we know it's Frankenstein. We know people are going to get brought back to life. But you don't have to (laughs) put the literal words in the character's mouth for us to know that's his desire. We can discover that by seeing how he behaves in school when he goes to learn about medicine. And uh, so sorry, I don't mean to cut you off. No, you're good. You're um, good. A thing about the school scene, too, is that that second death that really affects him with that motif I was talking about, uh, that motif I was speaking about with the harsh reality was um, the guy with the long hair, his kind of mentor who gets him to the next level of trying to do this reanimation stuff. He died so quickly and in such like a strange way. I mean, strange by like that scene, like none of that was established beforehand, like who he was, what his job was other than just like working at the university and stuff. And then all of a sudden he just get like stabbed in the neck or something. And now he's dead. So like that's all in the first act. And it's like, Okay, his mother died. That was pretty hardcore, but I only knew his mother for a little bit. Okay, this kind of mentor guy died and kind of just made a big point about not doing exactly what Victor Frankenstein did. So there's just not that much weight riding behind it is essentially what I'm trying to say. They didn't give me enough to actually care about what was happening even when these moments of the harsh reality of death happened. It's with a character that I didn't feel too close to in the first place. Yeah. And it's kind of interesting. This is one of the notes that I thought was pretty cool in the movie. Um, because I'm fairly certain in the book he did have a mentor mentor um, for him when he was at school. Because uh, I'm pretty sure he goes over, like, alchemy, which, you know, is just fake science about, you know, gold, making things into gold. But uh, <clears throat> in, in the book... Are you sure about that? I'm pretty sure it has to do with, like, mixing elixir potions and you have to... Like, um, if you buy a house in, like, Riften, per se, and you go to the basement <laughs> and there's an enchantment table, you can go and you can make yourself, like, health potions and stuff. I thought that's what alchemy was. <laughs> it's one interpretation of the word. <laughs> but um because in the in the movie it was cool to see that he took his mentor's brain to use yeah right which, which i thought was really interesting and that's the kind of thing that in movies like this you want to see almost because you sort of have to see it happen because having it just explained would be really lame whereas in a book this whole process is very, you know, short lived, just pure words on page. Because when Doctor, when Victor Frankenstein is explaining this story to the captain, he he doesn't want to give him a lot of details. He doesn't want him to know how to redo his process. Yeah. And so that's that's kind of like a cool little you know thing to add, which I think is a positive to the movie. You know, that's a pretty cool thing like that's your interpretation of it okay 
I mean, honestly, dude, I think that could be a focal point. You know, I think that's a cool idea that could have been something to give it more weight so that when the character actually um, died, I would have felt uh, more of an emotion towards him. Again, it didn't pull me in at all. It didn't gross me. I felt like I was watching a play, not even a movie, you know? Almost like an opera. Yeah, almost like an opera, yeah. And it's not that there's anything wrong with that, but that's not what I thought I was watching. I thought I was going to watch an interesting take on the Frankenstein story. You know, I'm not going to lie. I actually didn't know that Mary Shelley wrote the original Frankenstein. I, I never knew that before. So I think that's really interesting, too, is that this movie is taking the original story of Frankenstein, yeah. and Frankenstein <laughs> has almost been tainted by all of this other stuff of Frankenstein, of like him being the monster in the Universal pictures and everything. So... You know, man, I th I think this is another case of a movie that had a lot of potential, had some really cool ideas, really cool motifs, really cool just base material, but then you cast Robert De Niro and he's got a Stallone lip the way that they got him and he's got the head shaved and he's just looking looking in and being the spirit of the forest. It's it's just too much. It's just too much. It's too much. Yeah, no, it really does have that very awkward weight to it. And especially because this agitates me, and I may have brought it up before a long time ago with adaptations. It's like they're totally different forms of media. So how you approach it is really it's going to it's going to be unique from, you know, story to story. For sure. It's it, the subtlety is a totally different thing when you're writing it versus somebody acting it on the screen. And this movie kind of like lost a, a lot of that, you know, the underlying themes of the main story because it was so blunt and to the point and still kind of remains hard to follow. Yeah, ov overall, it definitely remains hard to follow. And it's like, what are we really focusing on here instead of having um, like these instead of having like something really interesting happen in the plot narratively, we're focusing on this crazy experiment with him running shirtless across the laboratory, doing all these pulleys and whatnot. You know what I mean? So me as a person who appreciates the storytelling aspect more, I wish that they focused more on those motifs of the harsh reality of death of the morality of creating a person and not even caring about what it means for them to go on living after they've died. Like that sounds like some cool storytelling, but instead I'm watching shirtless, shirtless Victor sprint and do a ton of pulleys and Nash. What year were pulleys invented? Please tell me. Yeah, they're a very long time ago. They're super old. Really? I thought like the Romans, I th the, remote, the Romans were using them. Pulleys. What was that thing during the movie? You told me that it was a total. Oh, hangers. hangers, hangers, hangers. I thought it was pulleys. Pulleys does make more sense because, you know, we kind of need a pulley. It's one of the simple machines. man. Yeah. OK, my bad. My bad. I was lining up for a joke right there and I whiffed on it heavy. So <laughs> <laughs> no, but yeah, hangers weren't invented to like the 1800s or something. So. Oh, well, well, she, she couldn't she couldn't have been hanging up all her clothes in that ar armoire. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, we're going to pretend like that joke didn't happen. So overall, dude, um, do you think what I think? I think we agree on this movie pretty well. They kind of just had a lot in the story didn't really translate it in a good way and didn't give us any reason to really look at it as anything else than being a ridiculous Robert De Niro movie. 
Yeah, I think that's pretty fair to say. It, it, it is a little agitating to like put the author of the book's name in it, too, because it clearly wasn't trying to be as accurate as an interpretation as it could have been. Yeah, definitely. It, it was way too over the top. And, to, <laughs> you know, it, it was, I would say, like, the story, it, it had most of the major points in the book. Um... Like, uh, when he visits that family in the movie that happens in the book, that's how he learns most of, like, his ability to speak. That's sort of where he learns the most about humanity is from finding, like, some books that he found in the notes in uh, the Victor's jacket. Like, those are, like, key points and important to have, and, you know, good on you for keeping it to it, but you kind of sort of lost the purpose of it. Like, it falls short because that scene, all those scenes seem kind of pointless when it doesn't have sort of like, doesn't have you thinking about them any more than just, ah, this is the plot. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, for real. I think, I think we're, we're, we are we we are wanting a lot from something that just didn't give us a lot, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Cause that's why it's so actually, cause there's a lot there and I just feel like this would be better if it was like in a two or three part mini series. Yeah, big, big, big facts. And, dude, the movie was even, like, two hours and five minutes. Like, that's a ton of time. Yeah. But right now, as I'm remembering the movie while I'm talking to you about it, I feel like there's a ton of, a ton of the movie that I didn't even retain. You know, I'm, like, trying to, like, remember stuff that I wanted to talk about because I didn't even retain it. So I think that is a pretty good way to show how good the movie was. Or maybe I'm just bad at watching stuff. <laughs> no, I think it definitely has to do with just those cuts too. Like that, the whole style of the movie. Yeah. I mean, kinda... you're always taking a risk with jump cuts, dude. Whenever you're doing jump cuts, it's really like, you're really taking a risk in just making it look like you had no idea what you were doing. And when they are just like all on the slathered floor and Robert De Niro's limp body is going everywhere. Like it, I just wasn't well made just straight up. Yeah, you know, I will say that it's one thing interesting to note nowadays, because <clears throat> um, <clears throat> I'm not sure when this type of jump cut originated. Um, but it's the one where something happens and then it's somebody eating. Yeah, because you notice it all the time. Um, at least I start noticing it a ton in Game of Thrones because it's like something gruesome would be happening. And then it would transition to somebody like opening a shepherd's pie or something like that. <laughs> so it's like a pretty good transition. And nowadays, I feel like if you watch something that's made after Game of Thrones, almost all of them have one of those food jump cuts because it sort of puts you into like the scene. And then two seconds later, OK, here are the actors doing the thing that's important. Yeah, I feel that. I feel that. So it's, that, it's, that it's that's interesting something choice. interesting to look for for our viewers. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, just specifically, I think there was another scene after the when they were like all um, rolling around in the slathered slob of of Robert De Niro's eel tank. Um, that yeah, can you put that on my gravestone, please? That quote right there. <laughs> the slathered slob of Robert De Niro's eel tank. <laughs> yeah, the slathered slob of Robert De Niro. Um, it's just a very questionable movie. This movie's very questionable. And, you know, bro, last week I said, you know, They Live, really good movie, but, you know, not what I was hoping for for the Halloween extravaganza, creeping ourselves out. This movie was definitely not creepy in any way. <laughs> not, a, yeah, not, not a spook fest. 
and not even creepy like because it's like i would have been happy if it was just like left me like questioning you know like the origins of my humanity yeah right like, it's kind of like you know how prometheus you know that movie was just like supposed to explain a bunch of stuff in the alien universe right mm-hmm. like the whole universe of films and it really didn't yeah <laughs> it was a crazy movie like don't get me wrong but it really didn't really explain anything yeah <laughs> keeping it ambiguous boy all right so you got anything to got anything to end off with oh my gosh we gotta do the, the genres man. oh the genres man yeah no i mean i think i think we hit all of our points pretty well like i said there isn't there definitely isn't a ton to pull from this movie and it's worth watching just to look at goofy to goofy de niro bro goofy de niro and the and the the stallone lip yeah, so let's so let's uh, categorize this. Would you? It's definitely not horror. Uh, uh thriller. I guess. I mean, like it borders on horror because of the origins of the story. I guess, and like there is like all the murder scenes and what. Not murder. Well, there is murder, and like the it's just a Some lot of blood and stuff. Happen. So. I wouldn't call it a direct horror movie. Maybe it's like dancing on the line a little bit. I would say it's like thrilling, I guess. What what, what, what would you define as? <laughs> Dude, I'd straight up call it a drama. <laughs> a drama? Yeah, okay. No, I think a case can be made for that, dude. Honestly. Like, it really doesn't. Like, that's just what it was for me. It was a bunch of drama. <laughs> yeah. No, you know, man. Okay, no, I feel you. I, I won't call it a horror movie. <laughs> it was a drama. The drama of Frankenstein. Do whatever everyone with a friend now <laughs> speaking of friends what do you recommend this film no honestly i don't i don't <laughs> no, think I too many of my, my friends would like this movie your family no I, I would rather watch a different movie with my family <laughs> <laughs> so yeah next time you're at like a family gathering and somebody offers up this one be like no <laughs> let's, yeah. let's watch something good <laughs> let's let's sit around and read the book yeah. um <laughs> all right is it a cult classic no i i no. god no i hope it isn't no no nobody's pushing for this thing to win and they really never should. Is it a cinephile's must watch? I know, no. Examples of bad cuts, I, jump cuts. I don't need to buy this on Blu-ray. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, no cinephile needs Mary Shelley's Frankenstein on Blu-ray. <laughs> so, who made the music this episode? Uh, Schwartz and uh. Maybe the father of Zen, maybe Bismuth Beats, maybe Schwartz himself. Who knows? Father of Zen? Yeah, my boy, the father of Zen with that spook fest. Let's see, the Dalai Lama? All right, well, we thank him for his contribution. So, please be sure to like and subscribe to our channel. Follow us on Instagram to stay in the loop for upcoming episodes and help us determine the movies we watch and future content we can bring to you. Be sure to check us out at ambiguouspodcastsolutions.com. And remember, your donations keep my bucket full of candy this month. See you next week for our final Spookfest review. Bram Stoker's Dracula. I'm ugly. That's the quote. I'm ugly. <laughs> <laughs>